today on Ag News Daily. One thing that I found and really I think the what made me fall in love with the industry was that the people were so good and, you know, genuine. And uh, so I think that was, you know, really what piqued my interest. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, I tell you what, I'm glad it is Friday. I am as well. I spent the day traveling, came back to see my parents for about a week in the DFW area. And I got to tell you, the scenery around here is just far different than that of West Texas. In West Texas, it's all dirt. Don't really have a whole lot of uh, green grass, but it is certainly springtime in the North Texas area. Green grass. We've got some blooming trees. I'm sitting in my bedroom here at my parents' house, just looking out into our front yard. And it's a very beautiful, different sight than when I am at home in Lubbock, sitting at my desk. Well, I'm certainly jealous of the greenness. It's starting to green up here in Des Moines, but it's a little slow process. But Ashton, I tell you what, uh, I just was finishing up reading an article here before we started cutting about some concern for Texas and their growing season this year for cotton. We just got out the most recent drought monitor as of yesterday, and it's still pointing to some really abnormally dry areas in West Texas. So it's a little too soon to uh, run the sirens, I suppose you could say, as far as planting conditions for cotton country, but uh Sounds like analysts and meteorologists are watching pretty closely because we did see cotton prices surge more than 50% last year, which was due to a decline in U.S. production. So we'll continue to watch that story, Ashton. You'll have to do a little uh, digging around your area. Maybe you can do a little special cotton report for us. I certainly will. Um, You know, we do plant a lot of cotton up in that area. And honestly, not really surprised that we're concerned about drought. I mean, we've barely gotten any rain this year. I've seen a couple of concerns from producers online already, but just something we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, we use irrigation from the Ogallala Aquifer and, you know, that's kind of drying up, of course. And so lots of concerns about water and all that good stuff, like you said, Delaney, but I'm glad that you mentioned cotton because I have a follow-up from the China branch of the Cotton Trade Body Better Cotton Initiative about the claims of forced labor in the Xinjiang region of China. The body said earlier today that it had not found signs of forced labor related to cotton production because if you recall yesterday, I had mentioned that a couple of brands are, you know, their stocks are declining due to a social media, I guess I'm going to say campaign, kind of calling out these brands for, you know, associating themselves or using cotton products from that region in China. The comments come as a, a number of these retailers are facing that public backlash. So to me, it kind of raises the question, do they do this follow-up or... um research, I don't know what you want to call it, in this region, just because of this backlash. Um, like One of those things that if, if this didn't happen, then 
would Y happen? You know, if X didn't happen, mm-hmm. would Y happen? And so that's- We're getting mathematical now, Ashton. That's I above know. my head. <laughs> hey, this uh, this master's stuff is paying off. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, more mathematically correct, I guess. I don't know. But um, just kind of raising a lot of questions for me personally. I mean, these- rumors have gone around for a, quite some time about the Xinjiang region in China using forced labor, especially in the cotton industry. So I don't know, um, maybe another piece of Chinese related news that I don't know that I will, you know, trust a hundred percent just yet. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. But one piece of news I do trust, Ash, and I know you've been seeing a lot of memes for this and a lot of jokes going around on social media right now. I has a I have as well, but that is what's going on right now in the Suez Canal. They are still working to dislodge that vessel. So I was listening to the radio this morning and heard a description of this, and it just cracks me up. So basically, this ship, which is two or three times larger than ships that are technically supposed to fit through the Suez Canal, basically got itself lodged. And it sounds like excavators have to come in and dig underneath of the ship to unlodge it, from what I understand. I was reading something that said it's going to take probably at least until Wednesday to get things rolling here. But I think even that sounds pretty optimistic because I was reading other reports that said anywhere from, you know, a week to a month uh, that this could take. But literally, Ash and I can visualize this to some extent. But digging underneath the ship, they have to just dredge out the ground underneath it, which is crazy to me. Well, Delaney, you won't have to visualize it. I actually saw a photo on Twitter <laughs> that I'll have to send you because it's it's pretty comical. Because like you said, this ship is is huge. And they had an excavator out there in this photo. And uh, the caption on Twitter was boats and hoes, which is you nice. know, song from yeah. Step Brothers. And <laughs> so they had this backhoe just digging up all the dirt underneath this giant ship. And I mean, this machinery, it's its not small machinery, but it looks like a child's toy next to this boat. That is probably a hilarious image. Uh, I haven't seen any sort of numbers yet as far as... Well, actually, there's one number. I want to say it was 400 million is what there was basically sitting out or excuse me, there is about $400 million worth of product that comes into this canal, comes in through this canal every hour, I believe was the statistic I heard Ashton. So there's a lot of goods and services or goods and products that are just kind of sitting out there waiting. Yeah, Delaney, it's really just a big, giant mess over there. But one thing that I've been keeping my eye out on, another piece of you know Chinese-related news that I'm bringing to you today, Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack says that China is going to have to step up their purchases of U.S. goods in order to meet phase one trade requirements. Now, this is kind of the first, I guess, real piece of news that we've heard about the phase one trade agreement since this news administration has stepped in and since Vilsack has been put into that office um you know correct me if i'm wrong delaney but i I know i think really i think you're right besides you know sitting down with them in alaska what was that last week two weeks ago they really haven't put out much about it no they certainly haven't but we do have some quotes from vilsack saying they could be doing more on the biofuels side they could be doing more with dried distillers grain and they could be doing more with dairy Certainly corn and soybeans and some other commodities they are purchasing 
fairly significant amounts to the point where we're probably back to where we were pre-tariff and pre-pandemic for sure. But Vilsack says that the overall market share with China has suffered from the trade war. He says that China needs the U.S. export market. He was also quoted as saying they may not like it. They may not want to have to acknowledge that. But at the end of the day, they can't grow enough, unlike the United States, to feed their own people. So just kind of having to wait and see if China does step up in those aspects or in those industries of the ag sector, um, you know, biofuels, dry distillers, grain and dairy. Because, I mean, we know that they've been making record, I believe, corn and soybean purchases, but they've kind of been neglecting these other sides of the ag industry. Yeah, they certainly have, Ashton, certainly have. Uh, I tell you what, I have just one more piece of news here. We got a quarterly, or excuse me, we got a hog and pigs report that some analysts are calling a game changer. This recent report done by the USDA showed a decline 2% year over year for the number of hogs we have out there in the pipeline. And according to Joe Kearns, who's who's with Partners for Production Agriculture, he said that's a much needed reprieve that pork producers have been waiting for for quite some time. And he said that this is the first time we've seen a reduction in March over May since 2014. So we've seen basically seven straight years of growth in the hog industry, Ashton, and it's apparently due time to see a little bit of a pullback. And we've definitely seen that continued to be reflected in the commodity markets as we see lean hogs pushing for continued highs in uh, some of their later deferred contracts. Well, Delaney, I just have one other small piece of news before we hop into the markets today. Another thing coming from Secretary Vilsack earlier today, he said that the Mexican plan to ban imports of GMO corn would apply to grain used for human food products, not livestock feed, based on recent talks he had with his Mexican counterpart. And there hasn't been much movement in this news story since um, I reported on it a couple, it has to be a couple of months now. Um, I can't really even keep up with how fast time seems to be going right now. But people, specifically, you know, corn producers here in the U.S. were a little bit concerned with this ban on these GMO products because that would mean that that, that export market for U.S. corn would kind of be... Um, taking a hit. And so Vilsack said that limiting the ban to food products makes a big difference to U.S. farmers who have long relied on that relationship with Mexico as a top export market. Vilsack said that U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai has also addressed the plan with Mexico and that there is a process under the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement for raising such issues. So some good news there for our producers here in the U.S., you know, not taking too much of a hit um, for that export market. Absolutely, Ashton. Well, I tell you what, since we're talking markets, let's talk ag markets specifically. What do you say? Let's get into it. All right. Well, markets today were a little mixed across the board. Corn higher today and soybeans mostly lower. Kicking things off here in the May corn contract up six cents today to close at 5.52 and a half. The D's up a penny to close at 4.66 and a half. 
In soybeans today, the May contract shedding 13 and three quarters cents to close at $14 and a half a cent here. The November new crop contract down seven and a half cents to close at 12.07 and a quarter. Chicago wheat slightly higher today as the May, July, and these contract all added just three quarters of a cent. May closing out the day at 6.13 and a quarter, and the Dece up six to 6.16 and three quarters. Now hopping over to take a look at the livestock market. Here's where things get interesting. They continue to have green across the screen. Lean hogs are definitely pushing, like I said there, to some new fresh contract highs. But first let's look here at the live cattle complex. April added 50 five cents today to close at 120.10. The June up 70 cents to close at 121.77 and a half. Feeder cattle higher as well today as the April contract added 90 cents to close at 145.12 and a half. The May up 75 cents to close at 149.87 and a half. And in lean hogs today, the April contract up a dollar 12 and a half to close at $100.80. Finally breaking through some resistance there. The May also above $100 now, but June up $2.27.5 to close at $105.60. Shugging right along, Ashton. It's going to be interesting to see where things fizzle out for the lean hog market. And lastly, in the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures, they also had a positive day today, trading higher as the April contract added $0.28 to close at $17.08. The May up $0.20 to close at $17.52. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our continued AGRAD 30 Under 30 series. For today's 30 Under 30 interview, we are talking to Zane Peterson, who is the president of Peterson Timber. Zane, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat today. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. So obviously, you are involved in the timber industry, which is a segment of agriculture that I think tends to get a little bit overlooked. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But before we get into Peterson Timber, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background specifically? Yeah, well, I grew up in Northern California. Um, our our area is pretty rural. Um, you know, everyone thinks in Northern California, Sacramento and San Francisco, and well, we're three hours north of that. Um, you know, our main industry is agriculture. It's cow ranching and, and uh, logging and uh, the timber industry and a few strawberries and different stuff. But mostly, mostly we have uh, cow ranchers and and logging around where we're where we live. Yeah, that's a really neat part of uh, California. Talking about agriculture out there, just a very different industry than what we see here in Iowa, Zane. But I'm excited to talk a little bit more about the logging industry because obviously that's your bread and butter. Talk to us. Growing up, it sounds like your parents were in the timber industry. What did that entail? Yeah, so actually, my dad was uh, completely in in a different business. My both my parents are entrepreneurs. Um, my mom, she's on the tech side of the timber industry. She does data processing and and scale processing for uh, all the different sawmills. And so, I got to grow up, you know, visiting sawmills and power plants and meeting foresters, and you know, really just got to see the industry from a as from a little kid, you know, through a teenager from a really non-competitive lens and just got to meet a lot of people. And one thing that I found and really I think the what made me fall in love with the industry was that 
the people were so good and, you know, genuine. And, uh, so I think that was, you know, really what piqued my interest as I was, you know, going through high school and then graduating into co- or going into college. And it's just kind of, the people were so good. And I think that's kind of the thing about agriculture that is so amazing is, you know, you can still make a million dollar deal on a handshake where other industries, you know, tend to not be able to do that. So Zane, agriculture is really dependent on the weather and other external extremities. Um, And with California specifically, I I think you might know where I'm going with this. You know, y'all are really susceptible to wildfires. And last year was a a really tough year. And so I'm just curious as to what that experience is like firsthand for you. Yeah. So actually, you know, we're, we're some of the people that are out there on the front lines of this stuff. Um, not only fighting the fires, but then also, you know, trying to, for, to prevent them. And, uh, you know, our, where we're based out of Redding, it was, it was involved in the car fire, um, in 2018. And then, you know, of course we had the devastating campfire. And then last year we had, you know, several fires that were just unbelievable. And, um, I think it was a very real wake up call for California and for the rest of the country about what happens when we don't perform forest management. Um, and I, I think that my business was kind of born in a time where that the tides are starting to change. And so that's kind of what we specialize in is more of an ecological service of thinning the forest, making them healthier, you know, and, and that way they less susceptible wildfires. And then also more water goes downstream when you have, you know, less straws drinking out of the aquifers. So you know, we're, we're trying to thin the forest, make them healthier, stronger, um, for the future. And I think, you know, we kind of, even though the, the fires are an awful thing, I think it's a, a very real wake up call for, you know, California and the world that what happens when we don't manage our forests and when regulations and, and, uh, bureaucracy get in front of, of the right thing to do. So Zane, that I think segues nicely to talk a little bit more about your business and what you do, because like you said there, you've kind of created yourself a niche, but tell us a little bit more day to day. What does Peterson Timber do? And are you a one man band or do you have uh, other employees that you work with to get the job done? Yeah. So I'm fortunate to have some really great employees. Um, I truly believe we have, we have some of the best employees in the industry. So it's about 25 of us. Um, and then we have contract haulers that haul all the material. So from, you know, whether we're on our logging side, we're harvesting logs and hauling them to the sawmill. And then uh, we have a chipping side, which they um, just perform on doing cleanup. So chipping the small diameter material that we cut out in the woods that would be ladder fuels for the fires. Um, they chip all that up and haul it to uh, cogeneration power plants. So we kind of have two segments of the business. Uh, we have the, the, lumber side that is cutting trees for lumber production. And then we have the um, more of the fire prevention side of the business that um, they're out there cutting small trees and, and uh, making power out of them. So. And when you say chipping, just so we can all be on the same page, as far as what that means, explain to us what that is. Are we talking like wood chips? Like you'd see on a playground or, you know, in a garden or a aesthetic situation? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Um, and so that crew consists of, you know, about 
five or six people out there. A couple guys, all they're doing is in, they're in feller bunchers cutting, cutting the trees and they're highly trained. Um, what they do is they're, they're looking for the spacing and what trees need to come out. The, the trees that aren't as healthy as the other ones. So those guys are out there cutting. And then we have a couple guys in, you know, rubber tired skitters. Um, and they're, they're grabbing the logs and pulling them into a centralized landing. And then, uh, we have a thousand horsepower chipper, uh, that is, you know, meant just to destroy everything, which in turn means it destroys itself quite often. Uh, so we, we chip the trees and, uh, load them into, you know, giant vans, uh, chip vans and trucks that weigh about 80,000 pounds are headed down the road full of wood chips that you would see just like on your playground. So Zane, you are obviously part of this year's uh, 30 under 30 class, we'll call it. Tell us a little bit more about what that meant to you to be part of this year's 30 under 30 class. Well, I think first of all, I was humbled to be a part of the class of 30 under 30 and uh, to be recognized with all these other great people in agriculture that are doing you know, far, far more technological advances and, you know, greater things than I've been able to do. Um, just to be recognized in that has been pretty fun. And just to meet different people around the country that are, you know, working on agriculture and involved in the industry in a high level has been very neat. And uh, yeah, I'm just extremely humbled and honored to be uh, involved with all those other people. Well, Zane, we are super excited for you as well as the rest of the members of the 30 Under 30 cohort. And we definitely appreciate you coming on to tell us about Peterson Timber and uh, what all that entails. So thank you. Yeah, thank you guys very much. Thanks again there to Zane Peterson of Peterson Timber for coming on and and talking to us today. Really appreciate all these folks from the AgGrad 30 Under 30 cohort for sharing their stories with us. It's been great to hear from them, and I am excited to just continue to chug right along with this series. Absolutely, Ashton, as am I. It's great to hear what other young people in agriculture are doing. It's kind of inspiring, to be honest, at least a little bit for me. Oh, no, I am right there with you. Definitely inspiring, especially because I, well, I'm about to turn 22. I feel like an old lady, (laughs) but I guess that's really nothing in comparison. Um, You know, I'm just excited to see, you know, after hearing these people's stories about, you know, what I'm going to accomplish over the next eight years before I hit 30. I don't even want to think about that. I know I'm always away, but I still just can't help but think about it. You got plenty of time, Ashton, to make sure that you can get on that 30 under 30 list. That's for sure. I don't know what it'd be for, but uh, we can uh, just just hope. But folks, if you want to continue to listen to our 30 under 30 series and all of the other great stuff that we're covering on the Ag News Daily podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode and follow along with us on social media to keep up as well on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.